What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Today I come to share the scoop with you. Are you ready? Now, I'm not talking about gossip here. I'm talking about scoop. There's a difference. I'm not here trying to slander anybody's name. I'm here to let you in on the scoop of what it was like to live about 500 years ago. In fact, the scoop on the street tells me that life a few hundred years ago was vastly different than life today. In fact, the scoop is, now maybe this is true, maybe it's not true, but around the 1500s, I am told that people had an annual shower. Did you hear me? An annual yearly shower one time a year. And most people would do this around June or May because that was around the time people would get married so that they could smell good for their honeymoon. The word on the street tells me that most people got married in June because they took their yearly bath in May and still smelled pretty good by June. Hence the popularity of June weddings. However, they were starting to smell, so brides carried a bouquet of flowers to hide the body odor. Baths consisted of a big tub filled with hot water. Interestingly enough, the man of the house had the privilege of going first and enjoying the nice, clean, warm water. Then came all the sons and other men, then the women, and finally the children, and last, and surely not least, babies. By then, you could imagine, the water was a little dirty. And so you could actually lose somebody in it. And that's why we have the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It makes so much more sense now to my modern mind. I want to take you back a few hundred years to to not just life, you know, in the home, in the bathroom, that is, taking a shower. But I also want to take you to England. England, as you know, is is an old city, and it is a lot of people living in the city. And years and years and years ago, they ran out of cemetery space. And so, the word on the street, or the scoop is, is that they started running out of places to bury people so they would dig up coffins and take the bones to a bone house and reuse the grave. When reopening these coffins, one out of 25 coffins was found to have scratch marks on the inside and they realized that they had been burying people alive. So they thought they would tie a string on the wrist of the corpse, led it through the coffin and up through the ground and tie it to a bell. Someone would have to sit on the graveyard all night, and that's why we have what is called the graveyard shift, to listen for the bell. Thus, somebody could literally be saved by the bell. Can you imagine being buried alive? Can you imagine taking one bath a year? 
Our mind is totally foreign to the concepts and ideas and the way of life a few hundred years ago. In fact, we could just go back 50 years ago and notice how different life is today. But I bring all that up, and no, it has nothing to do with our passage, but I bring it all up to let you know that, that just as how foreign that is to our minds, understand that, that heaven and the new Jerusalem is going to be that much more or even way more foreign to our mind here on earth. Today, as we come to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, it's this idea of the new Jerusalem, and it's those three words I want to label as my sermon title today, the new Jerusalem. Today, we're going to look at the scoop on not just about the past and how men lived and bathed and how they were buried alive, but, but I want to share with you the scoop on what God has to say about the new Jerusalem. Today, I want you to know this, that, that that I've spent about a year diving into the book of Revelation and just trying to understand it to the best of my ability. But I want you to hear me well, that you could spend the rest of your life, you could spend 70, 80 years studying the passage we just read and never fully understand the unsearchable riches about heaven and the new Jerusalem. And in fact, the reason why I say that is because you could pick up 20 different commentaries and you could literally get so many different opinions about the details on the passage we just read. So today, I'm not going to try to get boggled down in all the details. Today, I just want to share with you some thoughts about heaven and the new Jerusalem. And the key thought today is this. If you walk away with anything, here's the message for us all today. On eternity, sure, we will worship and fellowship with God forevermore. On eternity, sure, we will worship and fellowship with God forevermore. That's what we have forward. That's what we get to look forward to as we read Revelation 21 and the first part of chapter 22, is that when we get to heaven, we are going to spend endless days worshiping and serving and fellowshipping with the God who saved us. So I know you might be like me, well, what exactly is the New Jerusalem? There's an article. I just, I'm not going to read the entire article. I'm going to read a couple paragraphs just to give us an idea of, of what the New Jerusalem is. But literally, like I could just summarize it in, in one sentence. The New Jerusalem is literally heaven on earth. This one commentator says, The New Jerusalem, which is also called the Tabernacle of God, the Holy City, the City of God, the Celestial City, the City Four Square, and Heavenly Jerusalem, is literally heaven on earth. It is referred to in the Bible in several places, in Galatians, Hebrews, and also our passage today. The New Jerusalem will be fantastically huge. John records that this city is nearly 1,400 miles long, and it is as wide as it is high as it is long. The New Jerusalem being equal in length, width, and depth. The city will be dazzling in every way possible. It is lighted by the glory of God in verse 23. Its twelve foundations, bearing the names of the twelve apostles, are decorated with every kind of precious stone, as we read all these different stones. And then the twelve gates, each having a single pearl, bearing the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, in verses 12 and 21. And the street will be made of pure, solid gold, in verse 21. The New Jerusalem will be a place of unimagined blessing. 
The curse of the old earth, that is the earth we're living on right now, will be vanished away and done away with as we see in chapter 22. In this city there is this tree of life beside and around the river of life straight from the throne of God. It is the place that Paul spoke about, the unsearchable riches of God's good grace found in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 2. And this new Jerusalem is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises. And it is the place where God's goodness will be made fully and wholeheartedly manifest. Who will be the residents of this new Jerusalem? Well, of course, God will be there. The angels will be there. And it will be made up of all of God's redeemed children throughout all ages. Now, with that being said, I just kind of want to walk us through this passage and share with you three thoughts today. If, what, what is the New Jerusalem? Well, we kind of talked about it. It's heaven on earth, but, but, but why do we call the New Jerusalem heaven on earth? I want to share with you three reasons why we call the New Jerusalem heaven on earth. Just, just to give you an idea, if you can just imagine John in his vision here, he's seeing a new vision of this eternal state. That is, everything that we know of has been done away with. The millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ has, has been done away with. The final revolt led by Satan to sweep up many of these people in the millennium has been done away with. And now John is fixing his focus on the eternal state. That is, there's no more time in that, in that place. We'll be with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. The lost have been cast into eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. And now John sees this city called the New Jerusalem coming down. And in a sense, some say hovering over, some say landing on. You know, when we get there, we'll figure it out then. But here we see that this city called the New Jerusalem comes down and, place it, and is placed here on this earth. And that's the place where God's throne is. And so God will rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever in this city. If you've ever studied the book of Revelation, if you've been with us throughout this whole year, you've noticed that, that there's kind of two major cities it's, it's emphasized in the book of Revelation. You have Babylon, which is Satan's city, and you have the New Jerusalem or Jerusalem, which is God's city. And so here we see that God is setting the record straight of how he wanted us to live back in the garden in the book of Genesis. Now, all that in mind, look at verses 9 through 21 of chapter 21. The first thought today is this. The new Jerusalem is heaven and earth. Why? Because it is the perfect city. The new Jerusalem is heaven on earth because it is the perfect city. Here we see in, in verse number 9, the Bible says that, that one of the angels that ushered out these final bold judgments comes and, and, and talks with John and tells him to come here and says, hey, why don't you come and look at the, the wife of the bride? And here it is. It does seem apparent that, the, that the, the term, the New Jerusalem, is synonymous with the bride. And perhaps one commentator said that the reason why is because the, one of the, the pivotal people of that age and, and who the residents of that place will be the church, people like you and me, believers. And so the Bible speaks about how the, John is taken away to a, to a different place and he's on a high mountain and, and he is shown this holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And then verse number 11 speaks about the glory of God will be the light and, 
And this place, I'm telling you, as you read this passage, it is just full of royalty. As we read verses 9 through 14, here's the thought I want to share with you. This perfect city is where the bride will dwell with the Lamb of God. This is the place where all believers, you, me, and all those in the past, will get to dwell with God on a new earth and a new city and the perfect city. And verse 11, verse 12 speaks about this. And then here we get into the dimensions. I do find it interesting that throughout all of history, that is biblical history, God was always measuring stuff. You go back to the Old Testament, you can study the temple, and God gave them specific dimensions over the temple. God gave them specific dimensions over the, the temple and the millennium. And God is giving specific dimensions of this city and this place in heaven. And we'll get to that more here at in a few moments, about the temple. All these different gates, all these different angels, 12 is such a common number in this passage, but this place is a place where we'll get to spend forever with Jesus. Even the wall, the details of the wall had 12 foundations and the names of the 12 apostles are there. But now I want to draw your attention to verses 15 all the way to 21. And think about this. This perfect city is the holy place where the Lord is glorified as God. It's not just a place where we will dwell with the Lamb of God, but it's a holy place where the Lord is glorified as God. Have you ever been to a church that, that I want to say is called a high church? And I, what I mean is just... The chandeliers look like it cost about $150,000 apiece. The pews I, and the chairs or whatever they're seating, I mean, it just it looked like that it was just straight from a luxury furniture store. Everything about the facility was just first class and then some. And then you can go to maybe a, a third world country and they're worshiping God outside in a field. Just a total different perspectives of how people worship. Not necessarily a right or wrong method. Maybe a better way to use God's money, or maybe other people have different views on that. But when we get to heaven, it will make $150,000 chandeliers seem like dirt. Because this place will be so consumed with the glory and majesty of God. It'll make a big old 20,000 square foot mansion in Hollywood seem like a little old bedroom. Today, as we think about this, the Bible gives us dimensions of, of this big city. It says that it's four square in verse number 16. I believe that, that these, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, speak about the royal aspect of God and how here God wants it to be this way because it, he is going to be glorified in this way in heaven. But, but I found it interesting that when you begin to study the length, some commentators are at debate. It's either, some say either 1,400 miles or 1,500 miles long and wide and the height of it. Just to give you an idea, you could go to the top part of Maine, go all the way down to the tip of Florida, and you go all the way out to Colorado. And that's how big this city will be. Our minds can't imagine one city being that big. New York 
is nowhere close to that size, and it has eight or nine million people crammed in there. Los Angeles County has 10 million people crammed into that county and four and a half million just in Los Angeles City alone. So our mind can't imagine if we have a city 1,400 miles up, 1,400 miles this way, and then 1,400 miles height. Huge. Huge place. But this is a place where God will be glorified. It'll be massive. Then it goes on to speak about how this place is going to be covered in gold, covered in crystal clear glass. The foundations are going to be with all these different stones. And, and there's been so many people to try to go in and try to make some type of allegorical interpretation with each of these stones. And, and I just want you to know, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. When we get to heaven, we'll find out for ourselves. But when we get to heaven, I believe we'll, we'll get to spend so much time just going and looking at this piece of gold, looking at this piece of jewelry, and just marveling in how glorious this place is. And it all is pointing us to the majestic power of God and how we need to give Him glory. The New Jerusalem is heaven and earth because it is the perfect city. But secondly, from verses 22 to 27, I want to share with you this thought about why the New Jerusalem is heaven and earth. Secondly, the New Jerusalem is heaven and earth because it has the perfect temple. It has the perfect temple. Now, this might be the perfect house of worship for you. That is, facility-wise. Some people might want to just rather worship in a barn. Some people might want to worship in a place that has a, a really big $150,000 organ. Everybody has their flavors and tastes. But I want you to listen to these words in verse Number 22, John, as he's seeing this new Jerusalem come down to the new earth, he says that he did not see a temple there. Can you imagine God giving the dimensions of Solomon's temple, talking about the things of the millennium temple, and here there is no temple? Well, I guess if you read on, you find out that there is a temple. It's just not a temple that you think of or that I think of. It's not a place of worship like we think of here in this moment. But the Bible says that he saw no temple that we think of as a temple. But he says that the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. In other words, when we are in that moment, that place, that is the sanctuary because God is there. You ever seen that movie, Remember the Titans? I mean, if you're an American, you've got to like football movies. <laughs> you have to. If you don't, you're un-American. <laughs> Just kidding. But you remember, he's on the field, and it's just him and a football, and the lights are on, and he says, this is my sanctuary. Well, to a lot of people, that is their sanctuary. To some people, this is the sanctuary. It's a place of worship. But when we get to God, he is the one we worship. And because he is there, it is our sanctuary. The perfect temple displays the presence of God in verse 22. Yes, we believe God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. And I can't wrap my mind around that thought. But when we get to heaven, his glorious, radiant beams are going to shine out forever and ever and ever in this new Jerusalem. And we'll get to be with him. But then verses 23 to 26, it's interesting. This perfect temple displays not just the presence of God, but also the protection of God. 
Here the Bible says that there is no need for a sun. There is no need for a moon to shine. Because the glory of God is the light thereof. Can you imagine? There's going to be no need for candles. There's going to be no need for flashlights. There's going to be no need for your flashlight on your phone. There's going to be no need for light switches to turn on and off. Because the light of God is going to shine every area. Every square footage of this area is going to be seen of the light of God. In fact, Jesus said he was the light of the world. And his light is going to shine throughout all eternity. Then in verse number 24, it speaks about these nations who are going to reside there. These people that were kings on earth, they're going to come there as well. Verse 25, it says that the gates of it shall not be shut at all. Check it out now. If you ever, imagine, John is, is living around 95 AD. So almost 2,000 years ago is when John lived. And in that time, you had fortified cities. They built these walls around the city, and they had gates around the city to where nobody, when it was closed, nobody could come in or out. And the gate was so high, the fence and the wall was so high, you couldn't just climb up it and go over it. It was fortified. It was protected. And here the Bible says that, that it's not, this city, is, the gates are not going to be closed. In other words, I think God is reminding us that he is going to protect us. And there will be no need for anything to be shut because sin, the curse, and Satan himself will no longer be a threat to the people of God. So he will protect us. There's going to be no night there. And then the Bible says in verse 26 that they shall bring the glory, this glory and honor from, from the nations. They're going to bring it here. And this glory and honor is going to be directed back to God. But then look at verse 27. This perfect temple displays the presence of God, the protection of God, but also it displays the purity of God. Listen to these words. It says, And there shall in no wise enter into it any that defiles. That means anybody who's been corrupted or polluted by the flesh or sin. Now that's strange because if you're like me, if you're a man or a woman who's alive on this earth, you have been corrupted and polluted by this three-letter word we call sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that, that nobody is able to enter this place who's been defiled. So what does this mean? This means that if you've not been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and received Christ as Savior, then you cannot enter into this place. In other words, you are considered an abomination in the sight of God if you have not received the work of Christ on the cross. And the Bible says that, that you have to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life right here in verse 27. So listen, today it's, it's very important that you make sure you're on your way to heaven when you walk through that doorway called death. Because if you, if you don't, Settle it now. It will be too late when you cross over into eternity. The Bible assures us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God came wrapped in flesh as we celebrate in December. The first advent when Jesus came wrapped in swaddling clothes and was laying in a manger and there to live a sinless life, there to die on the cross so that we could have our sins forgiven and placed in that borrowed tomb and resurrected to overcome death, hell, and the grave so we could have new life in him. 
So my friend, if you've never accepted that message, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make sure that your name is written in the record book of the Lamb's book of life. But now may I share with you, as we transition to chapter 22, the first five verses. The new Jerusalem is heaven and earth because it is the perfect city, because it has the perfect temple, and that is God is the place of worship, in a sense. But then in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 22, the third thought today is this. Why is the new Jerusalem heaven on earth? Thirdly, the new Jerusalem is heaven on earth because it has the perfect garden. The new Jerusalem is heaven on earth because it has the perfect garden. So the passage we've read today is about the perfect city, the perfect temple, and the perfect garden. Man has tried for 6,000 plus years or so. To build a great city. Man for 6,000 so years has tried to, to develop these houses of worships of all sorts of religions. And man has always tried to create a paradise environment called Watopia. But we failed in every attempt. And here we see a picture of what it could have been like and Genesis with the Garden of Eden. You know the story. Man was placed in that garden and man sinned. And so death and destruction and sin and disease and, and all of the aftermath of that one decision is now what we see today. But here in chapter 22, John looks and he sees a pure water of life coming out of the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb. And the Bible says in the middle of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which had 12 manner of fruits, and it yielded her fruit every single month. Now, isn't that interesting? Have you ever planted a garden before? If you've planted a garden before, you know that you have one, basically one season of harvest. Generally speaking, just depends on the plant you plant. And let's say you have a harvest of apples one time a year around the fall time. Well, here, can you imagine every single month you could go to that apple tree and you could, you could pick off apples or if you, you can't grow one here. But, but imagine if we could grow an avocado tree here in Virginia. I could go out every single day and month and pick me an avocado and go to the kitchen and make me some good guacamole. I know you probably don't like guacamole, but you are holy if you eat guacamole. And it rhymes, so it's got to be true. <laughs> but seriously, here in verses 1 and 2, we see that, that God will nourish our souls with this precious fruit for eternity. Every believer will be nourished by our God in the perfect garden. I do find it interesting here that the Bible says that, that at the very last part of verse number 2, it says, And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. I began to think to myself, well, well, I thought back over here there was no more death. In verse 20 of chapter 21, verse 4, there was no more sorrow, there's no more pain. So was there need for healing? In other words, I, I think that all it's just simply referring to is that this tree of life will be the way God gives us our well-being for eternity. In other words, our nourishment. It's a way that, that it will say goodbye to the old Adamic nature and the old sinful flesh and give a window of opportunity to a new way 
of life in eternity. Then in verse number three, every believer will worship our God in the perfect garden. Look at verse number three. It says, there will be no more curse. Now that is something to praise God about. We will no longer be tempted in thought. We'll no longer be tempted in word. We'll no longer be tempted in deed to sin against the commands of God. Here we will live in complete, absolute obedience to God and his word. And we will get to worship God. It says, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it here. And his, now, here's the question. What will we do in this new Jerusalem? What will we do in heaven? One word. We will serve our Lord. He will be our master. And we, in a sense, will be his servants. This word serve, it gives this idea of, of giving our lives over to the master and being willing to do whatever he commands us to do. In other words, we will worship and serve him throughout all eternity. And we will never tire of that. There are times I will just confess that, that throughout this year, I was tired of studying the book of Revelation. Every week, reading the, reading the passages and, and studying what other people have said and listening to these sermons and, and doing all... I'm telling you, there's sometimes that I myself as the pastor gets weary in the work of the ministry. And there's times that I'm sure you get tired of, of helping those children in the nursery or, or helping those children in junior church or helping the different areas in which we have ministries here in our church. But I want you to know this, that when we get to heaven, we will never grow weary in serving and worshiping God. We will never be like, well, I don't really like that song of selection. <laughs> I didn't know that song, so I just, I just didn't benefit from the worship today. We will never experience that today. Or we'll say, well, pastor, yeah, it was a great message. I just, I never got anything out of it, though, but it was a good message. <laughs> we'll never have to worry about those things ever again. Because when we get to heaven, we will forever serve God and worship him in the perfect garden. But then look at verse 4. Remember, throughout all of history and biblical history, nobody was able to see God in his full glory or they would die. But verse 4, we will finally be able to do that. We'll have a glorified body that will be able to experience that. We'll eat from this tree of life. And we'll have the promise of eternity in, in Christ. But verse 4 reminds me of this. Every believer will see our God in the perfect garden. It says, they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Remember back in Revelation chapter 13, we read about the mark of the beast and the Antichrist, that beast and that's going to rise up, is going to try to demand people to receive his mark either on the right hand or on the forehead. It'll be his seal, if you will. But here the Bible says that we are going to have a seal and his name is going to be on our foreheads. And then verse, 20, verse 5 of chapter 22 Every believer will reign with our God in the perfect garden. Can you imagine that? We are servants serving our master, but he allows us to reign with him forever and ever? What a God. We could worship him for all eternity just for that. But look at verse 5. It says, there will be no night there. There will be no need for a candle. No more light of the sun. And it says this, the Lord gives light. And they, that is the people of God, shall reign forever and ever. That's the scoop of the new Jerusalem. 
Now, I may not understand all the details here, and truth be known, neither were you. And none of us will ever. The greatest minds of theology can't quite grasp what we've just read today. But what I do understand about the New Jerusalem is it will be heaven on earth. And we'll get to worship God forever and ever and ever. And on eternity's shore, we will worship and fellowship with God forevermore. Now, as I was reading and studying this passage, I came across what one theologian said. And, and I just want to read this to you as we conclude because I thought it was so very well said. Here's what this theologian said. The best words that describe this chapter are beyond imagination. John put in writing what writing cannot contain. For this reason, Bible scholars will continue to debate which parts of this vision are symbolic and what exactly the pictures mean. Yet all agree that Scripture's final presentation of the eternal state of the blessed focuses on perfect access to God and Christ. Their fellowship will be unhindered either by sin or by the limits imposed by living in a fallen world. All marks of the fall will be erased forever. The only ones will access, the only ones with access to the city are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thus, we must think of our present life on earth as preparing for heaven. This life is important. God gave it to us as a good gift. We misuse the gift if we forget the lesson of Revelation 21. And he says this, The bliss of heaven is awaiting only those that during their earthly life were overcoming people of God. My friends, this is the scoop of the New Jerusalem. What's up guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.